we build upon those pillars with these differences we're talking about. It's like in the squat, right? So it's like you have your pillars for movement mechanics that everybody should try to accomplish and have to some degree. Everybody should have some level of baseline strength. But then how we get there, that's when the fun part comes. That's when the conceptual differences come. That's when the applying this training methodology versus what you've done blend together. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Jake Bowley, Barbend's outgoing fitness editor. In nearly four years with Barbend, Jake has covered hundreds of strength sports events and written or edited thousands of articles on training and strength research. We look back on Jake's time in and contributions towards strength journalism, including the athletes and feats that impressed him the most. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com slash newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Jake, this is the not the first podcast we've done together, but it is the last with you as a, a full-time Barbend employee. And you know, we're, I'm very thankful for uh, my time working with you, but I'm just going to kick things right off. Let's talk about what you've learned over the last four years of being in the fitness content space. Oh my goodness. No, no, um, I'll, I'll make it easier than that. I'll make it easier than that. Okay. All right. Let's start with this. What is the first thing that being a strength sports journalist taught you about the fitness space? I think it's the diversity of the sports in the sense that I think every sport has its unique voice and its unique energy to it. And I think that that was really cool because I think coming into it from the outside world, if you're not really vested in covering and learning about the athletes who are invested in each sport, you kind of just assume all strength sports kind of bleed the same, right? Like they're all, they're all similar. They all involve maximal weights, doing something for time or being a little bit more fit than your peers. But it's crazy when you finally get into the logistics of everything and start working with some of these athletes on a regular basis and really diving deep into the roots and weeds there that you learn that everybody has their unique voice and similar to every other sport, like baseball is different than football and the energy they produce similar to strength sports. And I think a lot of folks who don't necessarily spend a lot of time in that world overlook that, but there are some certainly some big differences between those sports. So that was like the first thing I learned. Which sport had the steepest learning curve for you where, where you were like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little while to wrap my head around this. Not that we're ever stopping learning about these sports. Right. But which one were, were you like, this is a lot to take in. Uh, I would, so there's, there's two, I think for different reasons, I think strongman was tough to take in just because there's such a varied nature of competitions and events Mm. that it can be a little bit tedious at times to kind of follow the flow, especially with some of the sporadic coverage that you get from someone like the world's strongest man broadcasters, folks like folks like that, the big broadcasters there in that world. Um, it's, it was a little bit tough to like kind of wrap my head around the diversity of how competitions change regularly and so do events. But then also I think weightlifting just from like a logistics standpoint and 
the intricacies of like just attempt selections and so forth and what's a world record, what's international, what's national and so forth. And like the difference is there, the variance is there and some of the other background stuff that happens in weightlifting make it a little bit more complex to cover, especially when you're just starting. Um, like it's obviously I knew how like a weightlifting competition went. I knew how it was scored and everything else, but then we had like the changing of the point system and everything else. And that just added some layers of complexity to what would normally seem like a pretty simple sport. You do this lift, you do this lift. Not so much. It, it, it seems simple kind of like in, in the middle of it, if you're looking at it in the context of one competition, you can kind of understand yeah. weightlifting. Right. But when you look at it in the realm of like international qualification, qualifying for the Tokyo Olympics, it's super complex. And over the course of your time with Barben, that's completely shifted. We did like a 12 minute explainer video about how you qualify for the Olympics in weightlifting. And I thought we were pretty thorough and I still got text messages after it where people were just like, wait, what? Like explain this to me again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't even get me started. Especially with all those rules, especially with all the rule changes that have happened over the last two years alone. Like, gosh, weightlifting is just like, we need like a hundred page PDF to help everybody just go through it, but not even with just text, just images. Help out, help us out in the most simple way possible. I was like, if you want the hundred page PDF, like we have, we have it. The International Weightlifting Federation has rule books. USA Weightlifting has rule books. One thing that I, I really remember fondly from our time working together, and it, we, we should clarify, this is this is toward the end of your time working full time with Barbend, the fitness community, the strength community. They're small communities. It's not like we'll never talk again. But in looking back at our at our time working together uh, as colleagues, one thing, one fond memory is when we went to the 2017 weightlifting world championships in Anaheim, California, which was a really fascinating competition because it was at the Anaheim convention center, but we stayed at the great wolf lodge with like all the Christmas decorations. It was just a very strange, and it was in December in like California. It was just very strange for me. Um, you know, that was your first time at an international weightlifting competition. Is there anything that stuck out to you? uh from that competition any memories that you can just recall yeah um so i have, I have two number one is just realizing how massive some of the super heavyweights are i don't think i don't think you realize how big lasha is for example until you actually are standing near and by lasha and you're like holy fish that's how that man snatches 474 pounds over his head like you were just a huge human being and then also i noticed the i don't it was like a weird sense of like camaraderie because everybody's on the same page that everybody obviously wants to do well but then also the very much like you're with your country and you're focused on them and mm -hmm. you're very much to yourself whereas like at the arnold or like a powerlifting meet everyone's kind of like this slap ass grabbing hands like what's going on guys but at the world championships i know everybody's dialed in obviously but even after it was very much like you were there on a mission and that is your mission and you are go 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 even after you've competed you still kind of have that mindset even though you're a little bit more loose obviously but maybe i also have a biased view because we only saw it in this context of competition but um th those were the two things i learned big people and <laughs> zeroed in mindsets we there was one instance when we were taking the bus from the anaheim convention center it was you me and like every super heavyweight from the a session in there and it was just we were the we were the smallest people on the bus by like 
it felt like we everyone else was at least a hundred kilos bigger than us. And that might've actually been the case. It was like close to it. Yeah. Like I'm 99% sure they were looking at me like, I will eat you. And I was like, <laughs> all right, you, you guys, you guys got this. Um, well, one thing I also really remember fondly from that time. And that was our, one of our first times we traveled for work together before that. But I think that was our, like, the biggest trip we'd taken together for a, for a bar bend thing at that point. One thing I remember really fondly, um, was like, I had a set, I had a moment where we're eating, we were literally eating breakfast one morning and it's like you and me and we like got our oatmeal and our bacon and our eggs and we're sitting down and I look around the room and it's athletes from the Republic of Georgia and Iran. And, um, I think the German team might've been there. And then obviously some American team members. And then uh, China wasn't at that, that, that championships. They were, they were serving a suspension. I think it was part of the Canadian team as well, the Mexican team. And it was like such an interesting international mix. And from some countries where you're not going to see people from those countries visiting the U.S. under normal circumstances, you know, or at least generally not at the same volume as you'd see like tourists from other countries. Um, definitely a fond memory for me. And just seeing those, the meals of like, you, you know, you'd be in line with, uh, with like, yeah, Lasha Talakadze fighting over that one bottle of ketchup that they had for like every, for every athlete in the dining hall. Kind of crazy. Yeah. I remember that one morning where we were looking for, I think it was the hot sauce. And they had it at their table. And I was like, well, if I don't come back in two minutes, like, since like, I was like, Hey, Hey, sir, sir, can I please have some of this hot sauce here? I won't take much. You can have it right back. It was, that was, that was great. Oh my gosh. Some of those athletes are just, yeah, they're, they're people that you'll probably never see again, unless you are in Olympics or like a world champion setting, mm-hmm. which is crazy. What are some events that you covered or were involved in coverage? And, you, and your role with Barbin, you've, you've done a lot of things. We're talking about strength sports right now. You've produced and edited a ton of training content. So even separate from the sports, people just looking to get stronger. How can we produce resources for those folks who might not be elite athletes or competitive in strength? We'll talk about that in a second. But are there any events that come to mind, whether they be events you covered in person or remotely, um, that stick out to you as being particularly challenging from the perspective of a journalist? Oh, 100%. I think the one that sticks out to me, and this is because I was there firsthand, is always the Arnold Classic, Mm -hmm. just because there is so much going on. Like the first day, I remember the first day I ever went to the Arnold Classic to cover it officially, I was so overwhelmed. But then I learned the second day, and I could say this now because I'm leaving, I got a little tipsy throughout the day and kept the buzz going, and it made everything so much more manageable. I would go watch something and then go write write it down, have a beer. Go watch something, go write it down, have a beer. And it made it a lot more manageable, but I think the Arnold is probably the most crazy just because there's so much stuff going on and it's literally impossible to see everything. Yeah. But then at the same time, you're trying to like check social, like, okay, who lifted the cage? Okay. Who lived on the platform? Okay. Who's what's going on in strongman right now and trying to keep all the tabs and trying to relay that either with my own work or with you guys back at the barbend office and trying to be like, okay, this is happening now. Keep an eye out. I'll do this. That was, that was quite the challenge to do. But I managed. It, it, the Arnold is something that if you haven't seen it in person, it's it's difficult to describe. And I've had a lot of people say like, oh man, I'm like, I've never been to the Arnold. I really want to go and just like watch everything. And it's definitely something that I think it's like, it's worth seeing. Obviously we're not doing, this is the time of coronavirus. We're not really holding events like that with 200,000, hundreds of thousands of people. But it's tough to describe the atmosphere at the Arnold. Busy like doesn't even begin to describe what it's like. Can, can you just give us a sense of, for those who have never been to the Arnold Sports Festival, the feeling 
on the floor with so much going around you? Like what, uh, when it hits you, what is your first impression? My first impression is like, where do I start? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you have so many things coming at you at once that I think it's really hard to find where you even want to go. Even if you have your own niche, mm-hmm. like even if you only want to talk to powerlifting brands and see competition in powerlifting and so forth, like it's, it's overwhelming to, I think, even figure out how to get to what, where to go, because literally at some points it's like, you're in like a six flags line. That's incredibly crowded. Like you physically can't move sometimes. And it's just, it's, it's chaos. It is just pure chaos. Are there any, are there any events that you look back that you covered again, either remotely or in person, um, that, that surprised you that, that shocked you? Um, it could be the result. It could be, you know, an injury, someone pulling out or, or something like that, where you, you were just like, I did not see that coming when you were writing up a final report. Yeah, I think, um, I think most the competitions that are always, I think in that nature for me are like the CrossFit games. Mm. I think those are always like just ebbs and flows of highs and lows throughout the days. And that's always fun to try to keep tabs on and stay consistent with. Um, has anything ever really truly shocked me? I'm trying to think of big injuries that might've happened while I was really connected in, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Like there are probably a couple instances over the last four years, but nothing stands out to me as being like, Whoa, like I did not see that one coming. You know? Um, I think that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I've seen like some stuff has shocked me, but not so much in a competition setting. Hmm. <laughs> some of the stuff that maybe happens in the warm up room or off the, off the platform, it can be a little bit yeah. more shocking. What are you, you've gotten to interview on the podcast. You've been a, a host on the podcast numerous times. You've interviewed people for articles, for videos. Um, you've gotten travel with some really cool athletes, coaches, people in strength. Is there anyone that you got to work with in, in a capacity at Barbend that you where there was a moment where you're like, Oh my goodness, like I'm working with this person. Like I never thought I'd have the opportunity to work with this person this closely. Yeah. I think honestly, I I think every big named athlete and coach that I've worked with, I always have those moments. And I Mm. think as you do more of them in your career, they kind of like start to fade a little bit, Mm. I want to say, but I think a couple that stand out to me significantly are like the, when I podcast Eric Helms, like he's somebody I've looked up to for so long in the industry. So like being able to podcast with him, people like Dr. Andy Gelpin too, like those guys are just like incredibly brilliant. And to have like a full on hour, to just have a conversation with them and know that that conversation is not just being had to being, being had. It's actually like having a purpose and intent behind it. I think that's one of the, the cool moments when like nervous before and then after I'm like, Holy crap. Like I just, produced a piece of content that will hopefully help everyone else along with myself. And it was like super incredibly, like super incredibly awesome to work for those work with those guys. I think the Eric Helms one is a great example. That was pretty early on in the course of the Barben podcast. And for a time it was our most successful podcast ever. I actually almost retired from podcast hosting. And I was like, Jake, you take it, you take it over because this one's just doing gangbusters. And I think it's a testament to not only the fact that you all had a great engaging conversation, which speaks to your ability to ask the right questions and keep the conversation flowing. But the fact that, you know, people like Dr. Andy Galpin, people like Eric Helms have really engaged followings and they have groups of people who really 
I don't want to say hang on every word that sounds a little cult-ish, but people who are really, truly interested in, in their perspective on, on pretty much everything under the sun in fitness and strength. And so it's not necessarily who has like the most Instagram followers, right? That doesn't, that won't always equate to a podcasting hit or an article hit or a YouTube hit, but it's like those people who have followings that are super engaged. And sometimes that surprises me. There, there are definitely sub communities within strength that surprise me. Are there any sub communities in strength that are more passionate or more engaged that you maybe were not expecting at first? Good question. Um, I'm always shocked by the level of knowledge that just your basic like CrossFit folks have. Mm. Just like who even go to the gym, they'll like know so much about the athletes, coaches, and everything else within that sport. And I think mm. that's really cool and unique. Yeah, like a lot. I, I know a ton of powerlifters and like just recreational weightlifters who don't necessarily keep up with like the international athletes and like what's going on in the sport. But it seems like CrossFit always kind of does. And I know it's probably because like it's a little bit more centralized and maybe it's not as grandest across the globe, but um, I think that it's really cool that that's sport. And even if you're not that into it, but you know of it a little bit, you still like know who Matt Frazier is. Mm-hmm. You still know who some of these big named athletes are. So I think CrossFit is probably my best example for that. What have you, what have you learned about yourself as, uh, as a writer? over the course of your, and it's not to say you didn't do any writing in the fitness community before you came to Barbend. You already had a pretty impressive writing resume, but what have you learned about yourself as a writer over the course of your four years here? First off that, that I think saying I had an impressive resume beforehand was a little misleading. I did. I mean, I was, the one, I was the one who had to look at your resume. So I'm calling, I'm remembering it fondly. Right. So give me credit. Okay, that's true. No, that's, that's true. That's true. I think, um, one thing I've I've learned is to accept, and this is kind of like a personal thing that like, I am not by any means the best writer. I am never going to like write a beautiful novel. That is not what I'm good at. But I think what I've learned over the last four years that I can do really well is to take a little bit more of like, a, let's call them complex or complicated um, subjects and kind of like synthesize them into like a more digestible manner. Mm. And like I, I could obviously be off the mark here, but I think I have a decent idea of how to do that pretty dang well. And I've just kind of learned that over like the engagement, certain articles have gotten feedback gotten on certain articles and just the reinforcing of like, Hey, this really didn't make sense to me, but thank you for saying it this way. Like this kind of helps me for uh, I don't want to say dumbing it down because I think that puts it in a negative life, but simplifying it to an extent that is digestible for every person because I think at Barbie we have such a diverse audience that I've learned how to um, just try to write for everybody in an article. Like it's 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 tough because the people who do follow some of the like research head folks, like it's hard to write for them and a true beginner at the same time. Like mm-hmm. it's nearly impossible to do on a topic. So to be able to try to learn how to mold those two and create that bridge. I think has been like one of the biggest learning points I've had with my writing over the last four years and just being able to do it now in like a, a timely manner versus taking like a couple of days to write an article, but like being able to turn something out in a few hours and still have it not lose quality. <laughs> that, that I feel like should be, should be uh, stated that time doesn't always equate to quality there with writing. That's definitely true. Um, you know, if, if I had more time, I would have made it shorter. I think it's like a George Bernard Shaw quote or, or, or something. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to remember that stuff. But one skill set that I know you, you 
you really, I remember actually in one of your first interviews for the job at Barbed, a skill set that you mentioned you were really interested in developing was that of an edit, being an editor, something you hadn't done a lot of. And like, I, I think back to literally almost four years ago, you saying, I want the opportunity to edit more. You've gotten the opportunity. You've done a lot of editing at Barbend. You started as a staff writer and you've been the, the training editor for a number of years now. What have you learned about yourself as an editor? Man, that's a great question. Um, it's, I think I've learned, and I think an editor always kind of goes through this. It's to not overextend into someone else's mm. work and trying to like muffle their voice. Not that that was ever an issue for me, but I think at times when you're editing for so many different topics with so many different skill levels of writers, it can be a little bit tough to try to create like a centralized means of how you always edit. And so I've learned to adapt to how a writer's voice is, but then like kind of contextually edit for them. Like some writers I know write great content for us that I work with, but um, they know that they're not the strongest writers. So they actually appreciate when I do more edits, but then on other writers who are a little bit more advanced, let's call it in the skill of writing. I know to not touch it as much. So being an editor and like learning to write and work with so many different skill levels, I've learned to understand when to put the gas pedal on and when to like make more edits versus like kind of leaning off and be like, okay, this is your voice. You can keep this. I understand what you mean here, but let's just do like this tiny little tweak versus like this all needs to change. Can we rewrite this and so forth? I think that's been the biggest skill of editing just for so many different people, especially on so many different topics. It's always like a contextual thing. And I think without taking every writer's voice and subject into context, you kind of lose a little bit of the quality that could be there with the writing. Yeah. And I mean, that's especially true in strength training and in fitness in general, where sometimes there are like, it's not about finding the right idea. Like there are, there are, you can have three different opinions about something and they're kind of all correct, which is a really weird thing about fitness, right? Exactly. And that's, I think that's really important to understand too. It's, it's kind of a, always like having that mindset of like, like the beginner mindset that is willing to listen to every rationale on a topic and then make sense of it in the sense of like what you've seen experienced and then how you contextualize that into your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think exactly the point you made that with fitness writing specifically, like it's hard because again, like to write for so many different eyeballs and then to also try to contextualize that, Hey, there are multiple ways to squat. There are multiple ways to do this. That just adds so many levels that I think a lot of people don't think about or just like overlook, especially just being up here looking in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, just write a back squat guide. That's easy. And it's like, is it though? Because now you have to write for people who have so many different needs and wants and so many different levels of understanding that how you mold that into one digestible piece of content is a lot more complex than I think people make fitness out to be. I don't think people give fitness writing the weight it deserves at times for certain topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that complexity is something. I mean, we're biased, right? We're in it. We're producing this content. We're producing yeah. it together and a lot of it together. So we're a little biased there. And that was, I had a bit of a, that was a bit of a leading question, but Hey, I get to ask that I'm hosting this episode. It's fun. <laughs> um, I do need an important question that I know all of your, all of your followers on social, all of your fans are asking. And now that you're on your way out, you're no longer going to be a full-time, uh, you're no longer going to be the, the, our full-time training editor. I can get your honest take on this. Sumo, sumo deadlifts. Is it cheating? Is it cheating, bro? Come on. It depends if I'm in competition using it to pull a PR. 
If I'm not, then yeah, it's totally cheating. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't think I no, of course not. Like, I know you're just trying to team me up and fire me up right now, but I'm not going to take the bait. No, sumo is not cheating. Um, do I think they should be scored differently? That's a bigger, I think that's a bigger conversation that should be had on deeper levels, like on weight classes and federations and so forth. But well, let's not even dive into that. But no, I don't think cheating at the end of the day. I want to, I want to go a, a little bit broader here on, on the next topic. And that's just more about the fitness and, and strength training industry in general. And, and at Barbin, we kind of have this dual role, right? Barbin, it started as a news site for strength sports. And then we quickly realized there was a, a, a desire and um, uh, interest in us producing training content, nutrition content. So we kind of do both, right? We cover strength sports. But we also cover strength training as it relates to people who might be novices or just looking to live healthier lifestyles. What do you think has changed the most or most perceptibly in your mind about the world of strength training in the past four years? Not necessarily strengths. Great question. I think that people are finally shifting to a look at something and then ask more questions mindset, hmm. as opposed to just taking everything for what it's worth. I think as the industry continues to evolve and more and more knowledgeable coaches are starting to come up to the surface that might not have had that reach before because they're not as marketable. People are finally starting to be like, well, hold on is that actually the case or should we investigate this deeper and ask bigger questions? And I think over the last four years, that's been something that maybe it's just like a personal thing I'm going through, but I, I'm definitely noticing more of a shift into a more of like an understanding mindset of being multiple ways to approach a topic versus, Oh, like this website is big and they're like called the authority. So I'm just going to take everything they say, for what it is. And that is fact. And we're finally moving away from that. I think in the sense of even intermediate lifters are starting to be like, well, I don't know if that's true because I've now seen these three opinions and I'm synthesizing that to conclude with my own opinion. And I don't know if that's correct or that's correct. So I'm going to keep asking more questions and investigating and learning. And it's really cool. Cause I think we're, we're seeing now a blend of like the pendulum, right? So it goes from like, there was a pendulum of the bro science. And then we went so research heavy mm -hmm. and now we're coming right back into the middle where I think more and more people are able to blend that and synthesize mm -hmm. it. So it's like, obviously research is not real life in a lot of settings. A lot of populations are not who you and I are, but at the same time, what they're investigating can be applicable to what we're doing. So now how do we contextualize what the research is saying here versus what we're experiencing in real life and then blend those two to make smarter decisions. And I think that as a whole is where the strength industry is starting to head more and more too. And it's like almost like content and coaches and everything are continuing having, they're like leveling up. That's what I, I wrote a post the other day about like, there's no more low bar to entry in the fitness world. You cannot just have a certification and come in and be a knowledgeable source because you have to continually evolve and stay up to date with everything that's changing from both like, the coaching standpoint, the research standpoint, and the blending those two together, that the industry as a whole, to sum all of this up, because I'm just kind of rambling at this point, I think is heading in a direction that is being a lot better at synthesizing multiple sources and then asking better questions to find answers that are actually applicable to one's individual's life. Mm -hmm. 
Does that make sense? I just like rambled for like 10 minutes. No, I mean, I, I like, I like the pendulum. I like the pendulum example, right? There's, there's something that's purely anecdotal on one end and on the other end, it's purely data-based and for fitness, because it is so individualized, right? Everyone's body is different. Everyone has different physiological responses. Everyone has different mental states going into training and, and evolving through their training that at a certain point, finding what's right for you is a synthesis between, okay, what's the science say, right? And also, what am I feeling? And what am I responding to on an anecdotal state? It's, it's, it's okay to be a little bit anecdotal, right? Because we can have a research popu- we can have a research study done with a population, you know, and sample size n equals x or whatever. And, and, and that's cool and all. But ultimately, there are no studies done on, you know, Jake Boley's response to bar positioning in the back squat, right? Your, your, your experience and what is going to keep you enjoying your training, getting stronger, training safely and feeling good should ultimately factor in and be in conversation with what you know to be true from studied populations. And, and I think that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. I think it's something that, um, you know, again, I'm biased, but I think you've done a remarkable job at balancing in your job as a writer and, and, and an editor and something that in the next phase of, of your career in, in fitness and strength, I'm, I'm excited to see. So it's a really good example. I might steal that for an infographic, the Jake Bowley pendulum. Well, I mean, I, so like, that's like, I think if, if another thing Barbin has taught me is it's, it's taught me how to identify that pendulum because mm-hmm. it's in every industry, but let's just call out some examples in the fitness world, right? So it's like, we swing one way. Let's like use foam rollers as an example, right? Like everybody was all about foam rollers. And then you have some people who are like, F those, those things are stupid. They're pointless. And then the pendulum swings all the way back here to where people are like, Oh, foam rollers. They're, they're stupid. They're a waste of money. And now we're finally coming back again in the middle where people are like, okay, there are some uses, but some of the claims are a little bit out there. Like those are not always true. However, you can find uses here, 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 here are some contextual ways to use it and so forth. So it's Barbin has taught me, I think, especially being a news outlet first and then like a training and nutrition coverage. I would, I don't want to say second, but kind of being like all equal priorities. It's taught me to like kind of walk that middle line. And that's how I approach coaching too. It's like, okay, perfect world, real life. How do we meet in the middle? And that's kind of like the pendulum shift. It's like, yeah, in a perfect world, I could train for three hours a day. I'll sleep nine hours. I'll recover to my best abilities, but in the real world, I'm sleeping four hours. I'm stressed as shit. I have an hour to train. How do I meet the best of this part and the best of this part and meet them in the middle and avoid getting on any one side of the pendulum and kind of creating any form of dogmatic view or bias towards any one topic? You know, it's like, I think, I think we should all have our pillars that we stand by and that we use to create a foundation with, but then we build upon those pillars with these differences we're talking about like in the squat right so it's like you have your pillars for movement mechanics that everybody should try to accomplish and have to some degree everybody should have some level of baseline strength but then how we get there that's when the fun part comes that's when the conceptual differences come that's when the applying this training up methodology versus what you've done blend together i love it that gets me pumped and i think these are the sorts of conversations and the sort of energy that not to get too sappy here at the end, Jake, but I'm going to, I'm going to miss that energy every day. I think coming in and seeing your passion for everything from the macro topics and strength and strength training to the minutia of, you know, squat mechanics based on individual biometrics. 
it all gets you excited. And I think it's an, an, an infectious energy, something that has really shaped our brand, has shaped how I approach my job day to day and something that I know you're going to carry through your career in fitness and strength. And so I'm really excited to see where that takes you. And also um, really thankful because I think that your voice is one that the communities online and that the industry in general will really benefit from. So on behalf of Barbend, which I, which I get to say, uh, thank you so much for an amazing, almost four years. Let's round up, call it four years. And um, uh, best of luck on your, on your next ventures, Jake. Well, thank you so much. And like, honestly, to shadow that, like, I could not be more grateful for the opportunity of Barbend. I think over the last four years, I've definitely have lived out some of the dreams that I've always had. Like, I know a lot of people don't know the background here, but like one of my dreams growing up was to be a fitness editor in New York city. So to be able to do that for four years and meet the athletes and coaches I have, and to be able to really invest energy into learning how to write, build the coaching mindset and like build a site from, I don't, I like obviously not nothing, but from a lower traffic to where we're at now, yeah. It's been such a whirlwind experience and I am always grateful that you and I stumbled upon each other at that photo shoot, like in what was it like September, 2016, like that was so long ago. Um, it's been a whirlwind. I think I'm still numb to the fact that I'm leaving Barbin to pursue something else, but it's been, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a journey, man. And I could never give yourself and Nick, our nutrition editor enough. Thanks for everything. Well, you always, you always have family here and, and we're super appreciative. And uh, like I said, it's a small industry. That's, that's one, that's one reason. That's one thing I will say to anyone in the fitness space. Don't burn, don't burn bridges because uh, you end up working with the same people and crossing paths again, because the community, it seems real big, but it's actually pretty small. And what you really want to do is just keep your network full of really smart, really passionate people who honestly have the industry in mind and who want to just do good things for people who are looking to get stronger. And Jake Bowley, you're the prime example of that. And I'm uh, fortunate to uh, fortunate to know you. So thanks so much for joining us. And uh, this has been a very special recording of the, of the Barben podcast, a very bittersweet one, but just another thing I'm very thankful for. Appreciate it, Jake. Thank you. And to everybody who's ever read anything or listened to anything I've done with Barben, thank you as always. I really appreciate it and for your time and energy. But thank you so much, David. Thank you for having me. 